So Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. As you might guess from the reading from the video, the subject for our sermon today is forgiveness. Not only the importance of being forgiven, but the importance of being forgiving. In 1974, President Richard Nixon was forced to resign from office. He was the only, so far, he's the only president ever to resign from office in the middle of the Watergate scandal. Nixon was the president who, realizing he was going to be impeached and convicted, decided to resign. He left the office in disgrace and lived with disgrace from the people of the United States and people from the world. Four years later, US, former U.S. Senator and Vice President Hubert Humphrey, a, a Democrat, died. And in the days before he died, he decided to invite all of his political friends and enemies to his funeral. And so Humphrey extended an invitation to Nixon to come to his funeral, and, and Nixon agreed to come. Dignitaries from around the world came, and after the service, as they were gathering for a reception in the White House, it was very obvious that Richard Nixon was being shunned. Uh, people would stop talking when he walked by. They wouldn't come up to him. They wouldn't talk to him. Uh, he was simply in the just ignored, shunned, uh, very unhappy. Then President Jimmy Carter, the serving U.S. president, uh, and a Democrat from the opposite political party from Nixon walked into the room and he began walking to his place at the dais where he was going to give his presentation. He noticed that Nixon was being ignored and shunned. So President Carter diverted his walk and walked up to President, former President Nixon, extended his hand, put his arm on his shoulder and said to him, welcome home, Mr. President, welcome home. That act of forgiveness and kindness, as reported by Newsweek magazine, marked the turning point in Richard Nixon's post-presidential career. After that point, Nixon became more and more involved in political life. He wrote several books and served as an ambassador, an unofficial ambassador and representative for several US presidents. It was Nixon's forgiveness, it was the forgiveness extended by Jimmy Carter to Richard Nixon that demonstrate what forgiveness, love, and compassion are all about. Nixon certainly had nothing, had done nothing to deserve it, but it was Carter's pure act of grace and forgiveness I'd like to call your attention to. Because when the Bible speaks about God's blessing of forgiveness, it speaks in exactly the same way. The blessing of forgiveness is never a reward for good behavior. It's a gift, a gift of pure, unadulterated grace. So in today's reading, I'm sure the disciple Peter thought he was being very generous and compassionate. He suggested he would go so far as to forgive somebody seven times if they did something wrong. Now, we know the Lord's answer was that's not nearly enough, and so we think that we laugh at Peter and we say, well, who seven times? Why were you thinking of? But I'd like you to do a little mind experiment with me for a moment. Ask yourself the question, how would I respond 
to somebody sinning against me seven times. Number one, is it not true that if you, dis if you discover that somebody has gossiped about you, that would be enough to break a friendship? So suppose uh, one of your friends starts gossiping about you and you hear about it, and you confront the person. You say, what are you gossiping about me for? You know that's not true. And the person says, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I'm, I'm a heel. I'm ashamed. I, I'm very sorry. Please forgive me. And quite likely you would say, okay, I forgive you, but don't do it again. Now, some three months later, it comes out that the same person broke a confidence that you had shared with him. You had shared a, a, a deep secret about a, a condition you had. And suddenly people are all coming up to you and say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that you have this condition. You say, well, how did you know that? He said, well, your friend is telling everybody about your condition. And again, you go up to your friend and say, what were you doing? And he says, oh, I'm so sorry it slipped out. I was embarrassed. I, I was ashamed. I, I know better. Please forgive me. I, I, I won't ever do anything like that again. And so a second time, you say to that person, well, okay, I forgive you. Nobody's perfect. Then a few weeks later, an announcement is made that you've been waiting for. There's a position you've been put up for, you've been nominated for. Everybody thinks you're going to get this position, and it's a position that you really want because with that position, you can do great things in your community. You can really help the community. And then the announcement comes, and you're not appointed. And you begin to ask some of the people, well, why weren't you appointed? And they said, well, we were going to appoint you, but at the last minute, uh, your friend came forward and said that they didn't think you should be, you would serve very well in that appointment because you're too easy to forgive. You, you're too quick to forgive. You, have a, you don't have any backbone. You're always forgiving people. At that point, I'm sure, I know I would say, that's it, never again, nothing to do with that person. But that's only three times you're still four short of the seven. And I don't know how many short of the 77, or as some translations have it, 70 times seven that Jesus says. The point is, the challenging nature of the call that Jesus gives to us to be infinitely patient and forgiving. He calls us to be as forgiving as we are forgiven. <clears throat> this parable presents some sharp contrast for us. On the one hand, human beings tend to want to withhold forgiveness from his fellow human beings. I know I'm like that. There are times I just want to say, no, I'm not ready to forgive yet. I'm, I'm not going to forgive you. But on the other hand, human beings, like me, expect grace and mercy from God and from other people. Hey, I've done something wrong. You need to forgive me, right? Isn't it interesting how on the one hand we want to hold forgiveness when we have the power to forgive, but we want to demand forgiveness when we need forgiving. It's that dilemma that this parable talks about. In this parable, sin is compared to a financial debt. When we wrong someone, we owe him something because of it. And what we owe often depends upon what we have done against the person. So, for instance, if I can come up with some examples, if, if you speed 10 miles over the speed limit, there's a certain fine, and if you speed 30 miles over the speed limit, it's a greater fine. If you uh, commit an act of libel against someone and you're found guilty of it, there is a very substantial penalty. 
hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. If you are guilty of a antitrust violation, the penalty is three times the damages. So you see there are, there are ways that you can equate the amount of sin with the amount of penalty. And that's what, this, what the, 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 the parable is about. It seems that this servant was in great debt to his master. The debt was so deep that there was no way out. Various translations indicate an incredibly high debt. It would be like one of us being under judgment for billions and billions of dollars. This man had nothing to look forward to. He and his family and his children's family and his children's children's family would be stuck in debtor's prison trying to work off that debt and they would never be able to do it. He was doomed. The only thing he could do was throw himself on the mercy of his master and plead and beg and say, forgive me, please, I'll, please forgive me. And miraculously, the master said, yes, I'll assume your debt. You don't have to pay it. The papers were signed and the debtor had his life back. Wow. The gift of forgiveness was more than just words. It was freedom. It was liberty. It was life-changing. No longer was he a slave in debtor's prison. No longer was generations of his family bound to this debt. The stain on his record was removed, not by what he had done, but rather by the grace and mercy of his master. Undeserved love poured out to him, changing his life. That's the nature of forgiveness. Forgiveness always comes by grace, by undeserved love. Grace is never deserved. It's always extended in love. That's why grace and forgiveness are always squarely in the middle of God's work. Every act of undeserved love is a sign of God's activity. Forgiveness is not simply ignoring or forgetting a wrong. It's accepting that wrong, suffering the wrong, and in accepting and, su and, and suffering for it, actually destroying the wrong, wiping it out as if it had never happened. The suffering person emerges that from that struggle knowing that something that they couldn't make up for has been paid by someone else. Forgiveness has been extended. When we look at the New Testament, we see that God himself didn't simply uh, forgive us by issuing a proclamation. It's not like he had a, a you know, nice seal made up with God's letterhead on it and a little letter that he wrote and signed it and said, you are forgiven, God, and we can carry it around with us. It wasn't just a declaration that somehow he's going to ignore the sin. That kind of, that kind of forgiveness takes nothing but a signature. But the New Testament goes out of its way to emphasize that in the person of Christ, God himself bore our sins, that he suffered the penalty. He was beaten and killed in payment for our sins. Each and every one of us stand there and say, your sins were paid for by the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. And he did it not cursing and reviling and threatening, but he spoke words of blessing and renewal and hope. Contrast that to the kind of forgiveness we might think of when we think about pardoning, saving a life. A governor, for instance, can, can issue a pardon 
at the last moment, or a governor can issue a pardon to save the life of a condemned person. But it's not forgiveness, it's simply pardon. It's the father and mother of the victim of that murderer who is able to forgive when they can absorb the pain and loss and take it in themselves and then have the love and mercy to say, I forgive you for that. The governor is only a signature, but forgiveness takes the pain and suffering and drowns it in God's love. So forgiveness comes by grace, but justice always comes by the law. In the parable that Jesus told, one was forgiven, servant was forgiven, and he received mercy. But when he was placed in a position where he could extend mercy, at that point he started to operate from the basis of justice. Isn't that how you and I are? I'll, or I'll say for sure I know that's how I am. When someone has done something wrong to me, the first thing I usually want to do is go, aha, I have right on my side, and I'm going to extract the last amount of justice in this case. You see, it's easy to forgive or to forget how we have been forgiven when it comes time for us to forgive. There was no question this man had been wronged although to a much smaller degree. In comparison to the billions that he had been forgiven, the translators would probably say that he was under penalty for several hundreds of dollars. The claim was legitimate. The question was, which principle, by which principle was this man going to live his life? Would he live by grace and mercy as had been extended to him, or did he choose to live by law and justice? Would he insist on collecting what he was owed? Or would he choose to act instead on how he had been forgiven? The answer to those questions are crucial because in a few moments, each and every one of us are gonna stand up here and pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, when we say that in the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't, we're not trying to imply that um, God's not going to forgive us until we forgive other people first. That's, that's got it backwards. What it says is that uh, when, when God forgives us, then we become, or we are enabled and empowered to become forgiving people. The question we have to ask ourselves is, which plan are we going to work by, according to the, the plan of grace or the plan of law? If we prefer relationships with our fellow human beings to be settled on the basis of justice and law, then we better be prepared for God to deal with us the same way. But if we allow the power of God's forgiveness to become active in our lives, God says, then we are going to be forgiving people. Notice that the parable does not begin with the smaller debt being collected. The parable begins with the larger debt being forgiven. That's always the way God's works. God always takes the initiative. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners. God always starts the action. He comes and forgives us first. He forgives us by sharing himself with us. And he allows his grace to flow into our lives 
knowing and expecting that that grace can flow from our lives and have the same changing effect on the lives of others. His intention is that the forgiveness he extends to us will move us from a posture of demanding justice to a, a posture of extending mercy. He wants us to be his channels, his vessels, that the forgiveness which has flown into us will flow through us to other people. Talk about making good things out of bad things. When someone has wronged us and sinned against us, by God's grace, we can respond not with anger and justice, but we are empowered to respond in love. As we have been forgiven, so now we can be forgiving. And in doing so, be examples of what God wants for all of his people. We can be lights in a dark time. We can shock people by responding to them with love rather than hate. How many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Should I be really good and make it seven times? Our Lord's answer of 77 times doesn't even limit us to that number. What he is telling us is that there are two kinds of people, those who forgive and those who don't. If you are not able to forgive, then it would appear that the forgiveness God offers you has not yet had its cleansing effect in your life. If you can't be free enough to forgive, then it appears that his forgiveness has not yet been received. And it's at that point when we begin to recognize that I can't forgive or that there's something in me stopping it that we're called to repent. To say, Lord, I'm sorry for not being able. I'm sorry for hanging on to these grudges. I'm sorry for holding on to this hate and prejudice. Please remove it from me so that the love and forgiveness that flows into my life might continue to flow through me into the lives of God's people. If you can't be free enough to forgive, ask God to continue to forgive you, that that effect would be like yeast in your life, changing and empowering and moving you. As you receive and respond to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you will be a forgiving person. One last thing. Ultimately, we forgive not merely to fulfill some law of morality. We do it for ourselves. If you remember, if you, if you were a participant in the, um, the last congregational-wide studies that we did on what's so amazing about grace and uh, what people think about Jesus by Philip Yancey, in both of those video series, there's a character, a man that he quotes several times. And you, if you remember the name, his name was Lewis Smedes. And Smedes is one of the, 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 the most prolific writers in, in American Christianity on the topic of forgiveness and reconciliation. And Smedes said this in that video several times and it really stuck with me. He says, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. And when we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free. And then we discover that the prisoner we have set free is me. The prisoner that we set free 
is us. Forgiveness is very hard. The only thing harder is not forgiving at all. And all God's people said, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a forgiving God. You created us to be perfect and pure and in fellowship with you. But as human beings, we failed and we fell into sin and we chose to seek to be God instead of be in relationship with you. But you didn't leave us in that situation. You sent your son Jesus into the world to do what we could not do. And in his death and resurrection, we have access to forgiveness. We have access to the word spoken, your sins are forgiven. So Lord, may that forgiving power change our lives that we might be forgiving people. And in being forgiving people, may we be a light of your love and mercy to the world, that they too may see what we know, that in you all is forgiven. And all God's people said, Amen.